today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. See, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all. We see it over and over, just a myriad of verses, again, declaring that similar, that open invitation. We go back to the very familiar ones of John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Who did he love? The world. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Pastor, are you saying that all the world is going to be saved? No. But I believe the offer is to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. Many people are in disagreement over the doctrine of limited atonement that's found in the five points of Calvinism. With several passages that support the atonement of all who would call upon the name of the Lord, it's understandable as to why. In today's message, Pastor David reminds us that there is no limit to the precious blood of Christ which was spilled for all of mankind. In our study, we learn that the only limit to atonement that mankind will find is with those who refused God's greatest gift. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, Exhortations. world is changing, beloved. Our world is changing at an ever-quickening pace, and we need to be real in our relationship with God, real in our understanding that He holds today and tomorrow and forever. He holds our life in His hands, and He has us here. We're still here sucking air in this terrestrial place in order that we might be a representative of the truth of God to a lost and dying generation all around us. We need to be people who are concerned with the souls of others more than we are concerned about the comfort that we have within our own lives. Paul goes on from here. He says, this is good. This is acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. And then what does he say? He's the one who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Why do I pray for those, all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority? Because God desires that they be saved. Do I desire the same thing? Am I really that concerned about them? He says in verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself, what, a ransom for all, to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ, and I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. See, that whole idea of praying for those that are in authority is, again, for God to move and work in their lives because he desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Because when Christ died, 
he gave himself a ransom for all. Now, beloved, this is where I take great issue that those that are in, and you may be aware of this, you may not, those that are in what's called the Calvinist camp, there is a, there are some who are, are what are called Calvinists, there are some who are Arminius, and within those there's a wide range of commitment to the understanding of those two schools of thought. But for many that are in the Calvinist stand, again, with the belief that there is a limited atonement, in other words, Christ died only for a select few, that his blood uh, was not shed for those that would not receive him. All too often, though, I see within the scriptures God's glorious plan that actually reaches out to all mankind from every tribe tongue, and nation, to Jew, to Gentile, to slave, to free, to male, to female, to all the whosoevers would call upon his name. I see a call to all men everywhere to be saved. Nor God not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting or eternal life. Beloved, I see this over and over. It's not just one verse that we can explain around and, and jump hoops over. We see it over and over. And all too often, I feel that there, there are those within the Calvinist camp that they set themselves up even as the Jews and the Pharisees of Paul's day that says, God is our Savior. He's not yours. And you see, God called Israel to himself in order that they might be a light to all the nations. He called them to himself that he would show his glory through them, that they might show his glory to all nations to draw all men to himself. We could look through passage after passage, but even right here in chapter two, Paul says in verse one, prayers need to be made for the elect. No, he says prayers need to be made for all men. Verse four, he speaks because God desires all men to be saved. Verse six, it says, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for the select ones? No, for all. Well, how do you, how do you, how do you pull that together? Does that mean that his, that his blood has now become of no value because they've not rejected? No, the value of the blood of Christ is sufficient enough to save all men that would call upon him. It becomes only effective, or the theologians declare, efficacious upon those that receive it. It's not unlike if I had a $20 bill here, today, or a multiple of $20 bills. And I said, if you guys want a $20 bill, just come up and get it. But you've got to come up and get it. I, my guess is probably most of you would come up and get it. And, uh, but, but some might say, well, no, I'm not going to go up there and make a fool of myself. It's yours. It's yours for the taking. But if you don't receive it, it's of no value to you. See, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all. We see it over and over, just a myriad of verses, again, declaring that similar, that open invitation. We go back to the very familiar words of John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Who did he love? The world that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Pastor, are you saying that all the world is gonna be saved? No, 
but I believe the offer is to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. We see in John 7, verse 37, Jesus standing and crying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So are you telling me then that the the desire of God is not being met? Yes, and we see that over and over. I see it in my life. God's desire for me is to walk in holiness all the time. And I disappoint God a multiple of times. See, God has made the offer, but not all men call upon it. Think of the whosoevers, and we're not going to go through all of them. We don't have the time to go through all of them, but just let me throw a few of them out there. Jesus himself says, whosoever shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father. Jesus himself says, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child. Jesus himself declaring, whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother. Jesus himself saying, in Mark 8, whosoever will come after me. In Luke 12, Jesus declaring, whosoever shall confess me before men. John 11, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, therefore, or through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission or payment for their sins. Romans 9, 33, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Revelation 22, 17, and let him that is a thirst come, and as long as he is the elect, he'll be able to take the water of life freely. That's not what it says. And whosoever will, whosoever will. Beloved, as I shared, I I could go on and on with these whosoevers, as well as the the call in, in other areas, in other directions, both Old Testament as well as New, that speak of the openness of God's call. And yet at the same time, I do want you to understand clearly and completely I do believe that there is an election. I do believe in predestination. Just as Paul writes, actually, to the church of Ephesus, the one that Timothy is the pastor of. And yet it's not this fatalistic stand that so many on the far end of Calvinism declares. Beloved, you need to understand God cannot be inconsistent. He cannot be inconsistent. If he offers the offer of the whosoevers and that all who call upon his name, He cannot then say it's limited at that point in time. We know that, we understand somehow in the vast scheme of things, God has that plan and that call. But he cannot be inconsistent. But there are times that I know that his ways are beyond our knowing. I've heard it explained this way, and it's kind of, uh, okay, I understand where you're going. But. I've heard it explained this way, that as we get before the gates of heaven, we go to enter in. On the sign above the the gate there is, whosoever will. And then we go through the gate and we look on the backside and it says, chosen before the very foundation of the world. 
How that all meshes together, beloved, I don't know. But I do know that the call of Christ and the blood of Christ is sufficient for all men who would call upon his name. We need to move on or you're never going to get through here. Okay. It says there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. The mediator is the one, he's both negotiator and the pay or the payment for our sin. You see, parents, you can't mediate any kind of a charge or a case against the sin of your children. You can't do that. You can intercede on their behalf, but you can't mediate that. I, as a pastor, I can't plead any man's covering for their sin. That's not my call. I can pray for them to come to a knowledge of Christ, but I can't mediate that. There's no priest, there's no saint that can stand in the place of another. Not even the Virgin Mary. She's neither mediator nor co-redeemer of the sin of man. You see, Christ is our mediator because he's the only one who is able to give himself as a ransom for all. Now we get into this next section, covered as best we can in the time that we have. Verse 8. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Okay, we understand what that is, man. You go before the Lord. You pray in faith. You pray believing. The lifting up of hands is just, again, a symbol of our surrender, but also a symbol of his greatness before us. It's an act of recognition of that. And in verse 9, he says, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but that which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. We understand here that he speaks about the fact that, man, don't let the external be such a distraction on what's going on on the inside. That again, that within their lives, there needs to be that internal reality and the truth of godliness. I don't believe that God is against the idea of braided hair or gold or pearls or dressing nice at all. But when that becomes the main focus of a life, then we've lost the track. We've lost the purpose of it. We can move on again as we think about this whole idea of modest apparel. I understand that, again, it's not always this idea of uh, sexual allurements, and we've seen that through the years as people that, again, man, you come in, you're, you're in a worship service, and suddenly the pastor has to be looking at the ceiling the entire time while he's preaching so that he doesn't stumble while he's preaching. You don't want that. And when you fellowship together with other believers, you want to make sure, man, there, there, there's no distraction. But it's not just that, it's also this whole whole idea where he says gold or pearls or costly clothing because again that puts some women in the place of perhaps not measuring up they 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 don't have the ability to obtain that it's not about how much we can dress up and how spiffy and and sharp we can look when we come together beloved it's about a heart that comes in hungry for Christ hungry for fellowship with other believers and a desire to come and corporately worship him 
adorning themselves with propriety and moderation, that which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Then we get to verse 11. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. We don't have time to go over that this morning, so we're going to let somebody else cover that next week. <laughs> nah, I, would, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do it. Believe me, I thought about it, but... Uh, Let let, let me bring it down to the bare reality of this. We see within the writings of Paul, the writings of Peter, we see within the, the words, the declarations of Christ himself, we see it all the way back in creation, that our God is a God of order. He is a God of order and purpose. That has absolutely nothing to do with better or smarter or even more capable. This has everything to do with God's order of things. One of the parallel understandings we see on this is again when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, the same one that Peter is pastor, or that Timothy is pastor of here, speaking about the situation of husbands and wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, man, sacrifice yourself for your wives. This whole idea of order. It's not that one is better than the other. There is a place of order and position. Beloved, I just want to let you know, I believe that according to God's word that we're going to see even as we continue on in Timothy and as we get into Titus, that God has a plan. And I believe that his plan is very clear that women should not be pastors. Women should not be elders within the church. That again, God has a purpose and a plan of having men, uh, again, serving in those areas of leadership and direction. And believe me, you can trust me on this. I can speak with experience. It's not because we're the smartest, okay? It's not because we have our act together more than women. I, man, I've seen women that, again, man, just their, their connection, their touch, their understanding of the things of God are so powerful. And what a great counsel and, and, and understanding that they can give. But this whole idea of the order and the structure that God has shown us from the very beginning there in the garden, that's where Paul brought it back to. Adam wasn't innocent in this. We understand that. We can look at what Paul writes in the book of Romans, and he nails Adam right there. He said, no, it's through Adam that sin entered into the world. It's through Adam that sin entered into mankind. We, we know that. We understand that. But we also go back to the order of things that God has given. That's why he says, husbands, you're to be the leaders in your home. The responsibility of your home falls upon you. That doesn't mean you lead with, with an iron fist and, and man, you do it my way or the highway kind of an attitude. No, remember, because also the word says that when you become husband and wife, you become one flesh together. But there's got to be organization. There's got to be structure. And even we, as the body of Christ, we come together, and each part of the body of Christ, adding to it, the giftings and the calling that God has that we work together 
That's why I, as a pastor, man, I'm, I, don't ever put me on a pedestal. Don't ever. I hate falling off them things. <laughs> I fall off them continually. God has called me as a pastor. God hopefully has gifted me in that area. But that doesn't mean I'm placed any higher, any better, or, for that matter, any closer to the Lord. God, again, has a plan and a purpose. Verse 15, real quick. This is the weird one. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. What in the world is Paul talking about there? Here's where we go to what Peter writes about Paul. There's a lot of things that Paul writes that we just don't understand. They're difficult to understand. I wish Paul would have expounded on this a little bit more, but he didn't. And commentators, uh, pastors, Bible study leaders through the years have really struggled. What in the world is he speaking about here? Because it's definitely not clear. Is uh, she preserved physically through difficult and dangerous process of, of, of childbirth if she's living this way? No, I don't believe that that's true because very, particularly during that time, many godly women lost their lives during childbirth. I don't believe that that's what it's speaking. Well, number two, some say, well, are they, are they preserved from insignificance within society by means of her role within the family? Well, we'll talk about that one in a moment. A third idea is, is she saved through the ultimate childbirth of Jesus Christ, our Savior? Well, yeah, we, we do know that all people are saved because of the birth of Christ, but that's not what Paul is speaking about here because he speaks also in a, in a, in a future thing. She will be saved in childbirth if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, and self control. So again, it's not a physical act that she's doing that's adding to her salvation. There's a fourth possibility, kept from the corruption of society by being at home and raising children. Well, the other aspect of that is what happens if she is childless. I believe, and again, this is just my own thought on this, and it's up to much debate. But I believe that primarily what Paul is saying, when we get back to the context of all that he's saying in this passage, all that he writes about families in other passages, he's saying that, again, in, in the midst of the craziness of the world, I don't, number one, I don't believe that this salvation is, a, again, an eternal salvation. She's just being saved from the stresses and the strains of what the world has to offer her says again, I believe probably more along the line, her role within the family, if that is correct, if her role within the home is correct, if she lives her life in faith, love, holiness, with self-control, she's not going to be dealing with as much stuff in this world as she would be if her life was out of order. That is what I believe. Now, again, If you've got another understanding of that, let me encourage you, study it, get back with me in about a month, we'll schedule a time together, you can explain it all to me, okay? But primarily we come down to this. Beloved, you and I, through our prayers, through our life, we are representatives of God's kingdom. Through our prayers and our concern for all men and for kings and for those in authority, We take an understanding that God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting, eternal life. 
through our lives, we become a demonstration of that reality of Christ to a lost and dying world, both for the men, for the women, for the order within our lives, the order within the church. There's so much to learn from the pages of 1 Timothy, but sadly, we've come to the conclusion of today's message with Pastor David. You don't have to wait to hear another edition of The Open Word. Simply visit our website at theopenword.com and click on Teachings to download several past messages taught by Pastor David. You can also subscribe to our podcast to get each teaching as soon as it's made available. We're so glad you're part of our listening audience, and we'd love to connect with you. Find us on Facebook, learn more about us at theopenword.com, or just give us a call. We love hearing from our listeners. Our phone number is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. And if you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock a.m. and on Wednesdays and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word today. May God bless your continuing study of God's Word. Join us next time for more from 1 Timothy right here on The Open Word.